a minute. Uh, that'll be actually this last Sunday we're showing that video. We wanted to show it for the first three weeks uh, as kind of a, a backstory to the book of Galatians. Um, uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to start out this morning uh, before we pray and get into the text, uh, wishing all of our dads a happy Father's Day, uh, that we uh, appreciate you and uh, we want to honor you this morning. So thank you uh, to all of our dads. Um, in my uh, opinion and observation, back in the, uh, probably like the 1990s, I would say, um, and it's not like I think this was organized or whatever, but in almost uh, all depictions in, in media uh, in the 1990s, dads were kind of portrayed as this kind of bumbling, idiotic, you know, couldn't find his way to save his life sort of entity. And uh, I, I think our culture started just kind of undermining uh, the role of fatherhood, and, and just this is just my opinion, but I think we're reaping the consequence of that today. And uh, the church really ought to have the opposite view of this, that um, we, we need to affirm that the father's role is important, uh, and that fathers make a difference, and that we appreciate um, the, the role of the father in the household. And for households where uh, there's not a father present, we want to come alongside, and uh, good godly men step in. This is why the church is called a spiritual family. Right, where good godly men step in and help fill that role so that everybody has um, a male influence uh, in their life to help nurture them and help them along the way. It's a really important thing. So to all of you guys that are kind of in that role, um, whether by uh, biology, right? You, you've, got, uh, you've, got, you've got kids in your house that you're raising or uh, through adoption in some way that, that you've stepped alongside a, a child and, and you've been a male influence to them. We wanna thank you for the role that you are playing uh, in kids' lives. It really makes a huge difference. And um, you know, we wanna affirm the role. The, the, the Bible would kind of refer to this as kind of a complementarian view. Uh, that the role of women are really important and the role of men are really important. And, and working together, we display the image of God. And so it's not like, you know, culture's kind of gone sideways on this on multiple occasions where it's like the male role for a long time was like the most important thing. And, you know, then the female role was like the most important thing. And God's like, no, no, no. Let's work together, right, as men and women to display the image of God to our families. And so, uh, but... We had Mother's Day. If you, guys, today's your day, all right? So while we affirm the complementarian view, today's your day, guys, all right? So we, we want to affirm the role that you have uh, in your family, in our culture, and, and in lives. And uh, we're going to lift up, um, we're gonna, this will catch your attention, we're going to lift a beer in your honor today, a root beer, but a beer nonetheless, all right? So uh, we, we've got some uh, cold root beers out in the lobby waiting for you after church. Do not leave early to go get that, all right? Um, <laughs> In Jesus' name, it will go bad on you and you'll get sick to your stomach, right? So, but that's gonna be waiting in the lobby for you and we just want you to go out, uh, grab one and whatever the situation is with your dad, if it's complex, if it's good, if it's positive, if your dad's in heaven, if your dad's gone, whatever, we just kinda wanna um, lift a root beer up and, and honor our dads today. And it does happen to be dad's root beer, which makes sense, all right? So, all right, let's pray and then we'll get into Galatians, all right? Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you uh, for uh, dads and for uh, men in this room uh, that are having uh, that good godly influence. I want to thank you for them and the difference that they're making. Our culture, I think, made a really big mistake um, dishonoring the role of men and dishonoring their position in families and uh, dishonoring their role in culture. And I think we're reaping the consequence of it. 
Um, may the church have a different message. May we affirm what you have created men to do. May we honor the role of men in our families, in our culture, in our church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here's where I want to start out our conversation in Galatians today. Is, uh, uh, and this will seem like kind of an obvious statement, but I want to start here nonetheless. The truth is the truth. All right, the truth is the truth. You cannot change the truth. You, you, you can't. The truth is the truth. But you can change the way the truth is presented from setting to setting. All right? So the truth is the truth, but the way the truth is presented does change depending on what setting you are in. So I'll give you kind of an example just from my world um, in, in terms of the preaching world. So like if I'm ever, um, if I'm ever a guest uh, presenter at, at a church or a, a guest uh, preacher at a church, the truth is the truth and there are specific things I want to convey. But if I am a guest somewhere, uh, I approach that with a, with a different mindset. So kind of my mindset going into that is uh, those messages where I am a guest will typically have more humor in them, right? Uh, humor uh, disarms crowds and it disarms me, right? Um, humor is, and by and large, a, a lot of times humor is mostly for me because I tend to get really nervous, I, squirrely by nature, right? So I, those will ha have more, more humor in them. Right? I am squirrely by nature, all right? So... Uh, those sermons where I am a guest will tend to be more biographical, all right? So I will tend to illustrate with my family uh, and, and illustrate uh, with, with uh, uh, stuff from, from uh, my background and, and my history so that people can just kind of get a general sense of uh, the person presenting the word of God. Uh, those messages will, will almost in totality be focused mostly on grace, because I think if you can get a person to fall in love with Jesus, get a person to fall in love with grace, everything else falls into place. I also have a deep conviction that like, if you go into a church as a guest and that church needs like a smackdown over something, their preacher should do that, right? That's not my role as a guest, to lay a smackdown on a church. So those churches will kind of be, uh, those messages will be focused on grace. They will be high application. I'll apply uh, God's word to, to life today. I don't always succeed at that, but that's always my goal. But that, that is how I would, would present the truth as a guest. Now, we've been together 13 years, right? A lot of you in this room and, and me, we've been together 13 years. So you are in here, a lot of you, week after week, and you know me. So not every message here uh, is biographical, Right? I don't always use stories. Sometimes I do, because we, we know we always have guests, but I don't always illustrate with my family. I don't always illustrate with my, my kids. Some messages will have more humor in them uh, here than other times. Some messages, like last week, really have virtually no humor uh, um, at, at, at all. And uh, I kind of assume that because we've been together 13 years, that you're willing to take a walk with me. If something doesn't make sense at the beginning, you're like, well, we'll walk with Steve. We'll give him 10 minutes, right? and see if he arrives at a point, right? Um, but we're willing to walk with him a little bit. But the truth is the truth. Whether I'm a guest or I'm at home, the truth is the truth. But it is presented in different ways depending on where you are at. And uh, that, that is where I want us to kind of tuck that truth away as we, get into, as we get into today's text in Galatians 2. We're going to be in Galatians 2. The early church needed to learn how to do this, and they were struggling. Um, and uh, you may remember the background from the video, but let me just kind of briefly go over it. 
that there was this huge tension. We're going to talk about this more even next Sunday, but there was a huge tension in the early church surrounding the gospel because for 4,000 years, God had worked almost in totality, not in totality, but generally he had worked with the Jewish people. And then the message of grace, it was for everyone. So it went beyond the Jews. It went to the Gentiles. Anybody that's not Jewish is a Gentile. And, And it went to them. And there was this tension in the church about, do these Gentiles need to practice the Jewish special holidays? Do these Gentiles need to be circumcised, right? So that wasn't as common then as it is today. So you had all these Gentile men that hadn't been circumcised and they're coming to church and the message is, dude, you need a surgery to be saved. And they're like, rethinking their eternity, right? But I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I want to go through that. And so there was all of this tension. Do they need to follow these feasts, the special holidays? Do, Do they need to practice circumcision? And there was this group called the Judaizers, and they taught, listen, if you have a faith in Jesus, that's good. If you have a belief in Jesus, that's good. But you do need to practice these Jewish customs in order to be saved. And as the book of Galatians goes on, you are going to see Paul get angrier and angrier about this issue because he believed Jesus was for everyone. He believed grace was for everyone. And he says, we've got to figure out how to communicate this to the Jew, and we've got to figure out how to communicate this to the Gentile. The same truth It's important that we realize that the same truth, the same gospel, but going to different groups. We got to figure out how to communicate that. And so this is one of the purposes of the book of Galatians. And if you're looking for kind of a fancy word for this, for the the whole book of Galatians, there are two major themes. And the first would be called the sufficiency of Christ. That's the doctrinal term for what Galatians is about. It is the sufficiency of Christ, that his sacrifice is enough for our salvation. His grace is enough. His work is enough. The sufficiency of Christ to forgive us and transform us and secure our eternity. That's theme number one, is that he is sufficient. You don't have to have a surgery, right? You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to practice special feasts. You don't have to obey. You you don't have to fall in line with all of those Jewish customs. He says there is sufficiency in the work of Christ for you to be saved. And then the second major theme kind of next to that, the two kind of headlines is, and this is for everyone. It is for the Jew. It is for the Gentile. It is for the Greek. It is for the Scythian slave and free, Paul will say. It is for everyone. All right, so let's pick up here. Paul's given a little uh, biography of what happened to him after he was saved. And uh, we'll start up in uh, Galatians 2 here. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I, was not, uh, that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give into them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And I think he's also talking to us that because of the work of Paul, because of the work of the Jerusalem Council that we'll talk about as the series goes on, they made this decision. 
that we don't have to be Jewish to be Christian, that this message of Jesus is for everyone. It's for the Jew and for the Gentile. And they made, so the gospel's been preserved, all right? Verse six, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Remember, this is for both groups. So it's, you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian, but the message to the Jews is also, you don't have to be a bad Jew to be a good Christian, right? So if you want to celebrate these feasts, you can, right? If you want to continue some of the, this heritage stuff that's been passed down for generations, you can. You have freedom to do that. You don't have to be a bad Jew to be a good Christian, right? And so they're trying to fix all this mindset, but don't impose that on the Gentiles, right? For God, who was at work in Peter, as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Right? So, I resonate with this text. There have been multiple times in my ministry where I have been preparing a message and I've come across like a, a difficult truth to articulate or a difficult truth to get kind of my, my mind around. And I have a group of uh, pastors, ministers, preachers that a lot of times I'll text or I'll email and I say, this is what I'm gonna say. Is this true? Is this the right way to say this? Is, is this in line with the gospel? And I will elicit feedback because to me, and I think Paul would agree with this, the good news of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the sufficiency of Christ, that he is sufficient for everything is so important to me. And it is so crucial to Christianity that when I'm trying to articulate things, a lot of times I will run it past a group of leaders I respect to, to make sure it's right, it, it's communicated the best way possible. I elicit feedback. And so this is what Paul is saying. He says, I went to Jerusalem and I went to the pillars of the church, right? James, Cephas, John, to those highly respected. And I said, this is what I have been saying to the Gentiles, this is, what, this is the gospel I have been proclaiming. Is this true? Is this the right gospel? And it says all three of them gave him the right hand of fellowship. So understand what Paul's been communicating the last two weeks. Last week is I received this good news about Jesus from Jesus himself. So you can know when Jesus says, I'm gonna forgive your sins, Jesus told me he'd forgive your sins. When I told you that Jesus will change and transform your life, Jesus told me he's gonna do that. When I told you that your eternity is secure, Jesus told me that he was gonna do it. So I received this from Jesus, but now Paul wants us to know that while that is true, he didn't receive it from any human being, that he is under authority, right? He's not a maverick here. He, he is under human authority. And so he goes to those that are highly respected and here's the point of his message. They agreed, they agreed about the sufficiency of Christ. His sacrifice is enough for you. His work is enough for you. His grace is sufficient for you. 
His power is sufficient to transform you. They agreed with the gospel that Paul was proclaiming, that it is his work and not mine that results in forgiveness, transformation, and eternity secured. And, and here's, the, here's the thing I want to pause about is, why is Paul so bent out of shape on this issue? When, when you read it, as Galatians continues, there is some real angst in Paul over this issue. It's like, what is he getting so, what, what is the big deal if someone says, yes, I, I trust Jesus, uh, I, I trust Jesus, but I'm also trusting in my work and my righteousness. Why, why, why is that so important? And here's why it is, and it's kind of obvious, but Paul wants us to know that if the work of Jesus is sufficient, then the work of Steve Higgs is not sufficient, right? You, you get the opposite truth there that Paul is trying to proclaim to us. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. What that means is I, as a human being, am not sufficient, and I have found that to be true. I have found that when I trust in my own righteousness, that my righteousness is not sufficient to bring me hope. When I trust in my own righteousness, you know what I end up thinking, and maybe you do too? What I end up thinking is this question, have I done enough? Have I done enough to earn good favor with God? Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I stayed away from enough bad things? Has my work been enough to secure my salvation? And you know why you have that thought? Because your work is not sufficient. The work of Christ is sufficient to save you and forgive you and, and, and secure your eternity. I have found that my efforts are insufficient to bring about change. I need help to change. I will tell you that last Sunday uh, evening, uh, like a lot of times on Sunday night, we kind of spend uh, Sunday evening kind of picking up the house and um, every day is a new tornado once our two kids wake up. So uh, in the evenings, we like try to put it back together and hold our breath for eight hours until the tornado wakes back up, all right? Um, and then the next night we do it again. So on Sunday night we were cleaning and I had been vacuuming and uh, there were a bunch of Legos on the floor. And uh, so uh, I was trying to get Sam's attention to pick them up and I turned the vacuum off. Um, and uh, we took care of the Legos because we didn't want those in the vacuum cleaner for obvious reasons. And I went back and I turned on the vacuum and it wouldn't turn on. I kept hitting the but button. And uh, it's Sunday night. Sunday night, I'm spent. I'm getting ticked off at this vacuum. Turn on, turn on. You know, hitting the button again and again and uh, couldn't figure it out. And finally, I went over to the plug and that the, 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 the little plug that I had plugged into, it just wiggled out just enough to not be giving power to the vacuum. I said, that took a lot longer for me to realize than it should have. As a college-educated, obviously moderately intelligent person. So, all right, that took a lot longer. But it's like there was absolutely no power going from the wall to the vacuum cleaner. And I found that's what it's like when I trust in myself. It is that I can grin and bear it and I can bring about some change, but it doesn't sustain itself. It doesn't, it doesn't keep because I need power. I, and I'm not speaking for you, I'm speaking for me. I need power to help me change. I have found that trusting in my own righteousness is insufficient to bring me joy. That the longer I trust in my own righteousness, the more judgmental I become of you and, and others. I just become judgmental and I become harsh and it is because my efforts are insufficient to bring about joy. But the good news of Galatians and the good news of life, Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient. His work is sufficient to save you. 
His work is sufficient to change you. His, sufficient, his work is sufficient to bring you joy, hope, and, and peace. And this gospel of good news, it is for everyone. This is why Paul will go on, and the early church was trying to figure this out, and uh, I don't think I'm communicating how tense this was. I'm going to try it again next Sunday to communicate what tension there was in the church over this, that we have got to figure this out. We have got to figure out how you communicate the gospel to Jews, and we've got to figure out how to communicate it to Gentiles, and you and I ought to be glad they figured this out. Because as the result of the early church, the gospel spread and eventually ended up in the United States. But it is because of this that they said, we are going to figure out how to communicate one message to two different groups. And so I want to show you um, one of these passages that are long, one of them is a little bit short. But I want to show you Peter um, went, went to the Jews. And uh, when, when the Bible talks about Peter going to the Jews, he didn't go in totality. I mean, he obviously spoke to Gentiles, um, and uh, he didn't exclude, exclude that. We'll get into that a little more as the series go on, goes on. But I want to show you one, one sermon that Peter gave uh, to, by and large, a Jewish audience. And I want to show you what he said so that you can see the gospel he was proclaiming. And this is from the book of Acts. It's after uh, Peter heals a guy that was born, uh, that was lame. And, and Peter comes by and, you know, in the name of Jesus, you're healed sort of thing. And the guy's healed and was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're, they're amazed by what happened through Peter. And then Peter says this. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, all right? So we got the audience now, right? Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? I didn't do this. God did this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Awkward. All right. Do you see how awkward this sermon is so far? Right. So he's speaking to this group. This is not this. This is not that long after Jesus was crucified, and this is the second sermon Peter has given of this nature. Right. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord, will the Lord, will, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, here's another reference. Beginning with Samuel, 
all the prophets who have spoken uh, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant uh, God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Then God raised up his servant. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your wicked ways. All right, so this is Peter's message to by and large a Jewish audience, and notice what he does. He is articulating the gospel that it is possible for your sins to be wiped out. It is possible for times of refreshing to come. The, the core part of the message is that Jesus gave himself for your sins. But what I want you to see in the text is how he does it. Did you notice all the history references in Peter's sermon? All right? So in Peter's sermon, it's a kind of short sermon, but he mentions Abraham and that how all the world was going to be blessed through Abraham's line. He mentions Moses, and that how Moses said that one would be raised up from their own people. Right? He mentions the prophets. He mentions Samuel. Why? Let me put this on the screen for you. He wants them to see their whole history has been about Jesus. Right? So Peter, I mean, it's probably eight to 12 references to the Old Testament in a very short sermon because Peter is trying to get them to see our whole history has been about the coming Messiah. Our whole history has been about Jesus, that this Jesus is the promised blessing, that this Jesus is the one Moses talked about that was being raised up. He is the glorified one. He is the prophet who has come into the world, and he implores them, see Jesus in our history. See Jesus, and then walk in his grace. See him, receive him, and walk in his grace. And the question is, what kept them from seeing Jesus in, in this day and age? What, what kept the Jewish men and women that Paul was addressing, what kept them from seeing Jesus? And my personal opinion on this was that I think a national pride had set in, that God's been at work in us as, as the Jewish people for 4,000 years. We are his chosen people, and all of it is true. But they couldn't separate their national pride from their faith. And so the, the message to, in, in the first century became, you got to become Jewish to be Christian. You got to first become a Jew, and then you can become a Christian. You have to follow our way of doing things, and then you'll be okay with God. And, and Peter's point and Paul's point later is, this is not what the promise was. The promise was not, come to Israel, all ye who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The passage is, come to me, Jesus said. All you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Our faith needs to be in Jesus. And so I think pride's a super dangerous thing, guys. This is one of the lessons of Peter's words uh, to, to Israel, is pride's a really dangerous thing. Uh, uh, avoid associating national pride with your faith. And it's hard for us that, that sometimes I think we think, because I'm an American, Right? Because I'm a, a capitalist, because I believe in political freedom, because of my heritage as an American, I am now a Christian. Avoid national pride tied to your faith. Be patriotic. Avoid national pride tied to your faith that we are Christians when we have expressed our dependence on Jesus. Avoid familial pride, right? family line pride. I worry about this with my children uh, because my son has kind of grown up seeing me on the stage and seeing me preach um, and uh, uh, running around uh, this place 
honestly, like he owns the joint, right? <laughs> it's part of being a pastor's kid. But I worry that as my kids get older, Sam now and, and someday Lila, that as they get older, they're going to think, my dad was a preacher. My dad is a preacher. I'm fine. That's familial pride. It's family pride. And no, no, no. You're fine with God when you have expressed your dependence on Jesus. Avoid family pride. Man, my family's been Christians ever since the Civil War or whatever. We, we go back hundreds of years. You know? we, we, our, our family's been Christians since the founding of this nation. We, we go back so far as, have you expressed a, a faith in Jesus? Right? Have you expressed a dependence on Jesus? That's the thing that matters most. And avoid, we talked about this a lot, so I won't talk about it at a time, but avoid a pride in your own righteousness. I'm good with God because of what I do. Avoid that. Instead, I am good with God because of what Jesus has done. That my righteous deeds are like filthy rags. They are, they're not enough, is all, is all the old prophet was saying. They're not enough. And so I express my faith in Jesus and his work and his righteousness is enough. And that, my friends, is good news. And so Peter would preach grace, but he would preach it in the context of Jewish history. But you see the gospel in there, right? That you can be forgiven to the, to the Jewish men and women. That you, your life can be changed. A time of refreshment can come. That he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching it in the context of Jewish history. And so the overarching message of Peter was this to the Jewish men and women. Accept him. See Jesus in your history. See that Abraham was talking about Jesus. See that Moses was talking about Jesus. See that Samuel was talking about Jesus. See that the entirety of the Old Testament is about and for Jesus. See it and then accept him. Accept his grace. Accept his forgiveness. Accept the changes that he wants to make. Now let me show you Paul's words. That was Peter. Let me show you Paul a very brief uh, kind of writing that he gave in the book of Romans, right? Here's how Paul approaches the good news. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets of the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who, the, who through the spirit of holiness was, appoint, uh, was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong. Called to belong. You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and are called, called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. You are called as a Gentile. You are called to belong, and you are called to be God's holy people. See, Paul gets into some Jewish history because a lot of people knew Jewish history, and um, you know, Paul kind of grew up that way, so that was his kind of natural history. Uh, and many Gentiles had heard those stories. But notice Paul's invitation to the Gentiles. It, it, it's not different. It's just phrased uh, in, in a different way. It's, this is for you. This is for you. God, through his son Jesus, has called you to belong to his family. 
He has called you to be his holy people. This is for you. This isn't just for the Jewish man or the Jewish woman. This is for you, Gentile. You you are invited to know, follow, and worship Jesus. And you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow all of those traditions of old. This is for you in Christ. It is for you in Christ. And so if you're like me and you are a Gentile, this is very good news. I am preaching better than you're responding, but that's okay. This is for you. You are invited to know God. You are invited to life transformation. You are invited to be a part of his family. You are invited to have your eternity secured. You are invited not based on national pride, but based on the sufficiency of Christ and his work on the cross. And so this is for you. And here's what I want you to know on the screen. This isn't just for you. This is for everyone. It is for everyone. The invitation is for everyone. That his love is for the churchgoer, and it is for the one who's never stepped inside the church. His love is for those with special needs as well as, and victims, as well as those who live in mansions. His love is for uh, hell's angels and gang members and drug dealers and addicts. The invitation is available to them. Not everyone will accept, but it is for everyone. His love is for farmers and stockbrokers and medical personnel and dock workers and shop workers and plumbers and carpenters. His love is for policemen and women and rescue workers and seminary students. His love is for, uh, for those who have a secret life and those who have a stagnant faith. His love is for factory workers and tattoo parlor owners. And his love is for uh, the abortion clinic personnel. His love is for families who are falling apart and families who are pretending to have it all together. His love is for everyone. His love is for everyone. The invitation is for everyone. Not everyone will accept. Not everyone wants to follow Jesus, but it is for them. It is available to them. The invitation is there. And I want to close by making it more personal because you're the ones that are sitting here today. I so want you to understand this. It is for you. It is for you. You have been invited in and it is for you. Let me be specific. To the brokenhearted and the discouraged, this hope Jesus offers is for you. To the anxious and the unsure, his peace is for you. To the lonely and the hurting, his presence is for you. To those that are unsure, his eternity is locked in by him and it is for you. But do you see that the gospel of Peter and that the gospel of Paul, that they are the same gospel? Did you see that? They are the same overall message presented in different ways for different audiences. And so for the Jewish audience, it was see him, see him. Your whole history has been about him, see him. And then to the Gentiles, Paul says, this is for you. This is for you. Yes, it's for the Jewish men and women. Of course it is. But it's for you as Gentiles. And so accept him in that way that this is for you. Same gospel, different approaches. And it is hugely important to me that you see that. Say, it seems like a minor distinction without a point. It's an important thing. And I won't get into all the reasons why it is important, but it is important that we see it's one gospel, one gospel, 
given to the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? This was the early church's approach to bringing this to everyone because they wanted everyone to know Jesus. So it's like, Peter, you take it to the Jews. You take the gospel to the Jews and you figure out how to reach them. And Peter said, I better bring up a whole lot of history. I better talk about Abraham. I better talk about Samuel. I better, talk, I better bring up a whole lot of history so that they can see this whole thing's about Jesus. And Paul, who was raised in that environment, like you go to the Gentiles and he's like, you know, my heart for the Gentiles is I want them to know that this isn't just for the Jews. This is for them, that they're invited. So Paul went with that message. Same gospel for all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his invitation, it is for everyone. And your work is sufficient, Jesus. And our work is not sufficient. It has never been sufficient to bring joy, hope, peace, comfort. It's just never been sufficient. We try hard, but it's not sufficient, but your work is sufficient. So we wanna trust in it. We wanna walk in it. We wanna love it. And I think this has been a hard series so far because we don't, the church isn't struggling with this issue, the, the big C church. Of, we're not fighting over circumcision and all of that. But it is important to see that we have been invited. We've been invited to your table and we've been invited to receive your salvation and your joy, hope, and peace. And it only comes when we fully trust in you and we stop trusting ourselves. Help us to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.